Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, June the 13th, 2022. It is currently 10.50 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. It's Monday morning. A brand new week for our Bible study exercise on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I hope you're still motivated. And for those of you who are participating and actually engaging and doing the work, I hope things are going well in your topical method of Bible study that I've given you to do on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I hope you've looked at, I hope you've been looking everything up, grouping everything together, reading all of the different passages trying to formulate everything you need to do to complete that method of Bible study. I Don't get discouraged. I know it's a big undertaking. I know, I know. Uh, but I, here's what I, I, I guess I want to spend a little time just trying to motivate you here, right? Whenever you get ready to do one of the Bible study methods, any of them, they some of the Bible study methods can be extremely overwhelming because depending on what you're studying, let me state it this way. There are certain subjects in the Bible that to use certain of the Bible study methods, like the topical method or the thematic method, there, there are some of the methods that depending on what you're studying, it can feel completely overwhelming. You're just like, this is so much. And you can feel a little bit lost and you can feel a little bit overwhelmed And so you can just kind of give up. Don't allow yourself to do that. And here's the motivation. It's not about so that you say you can complete it. It's not so that you can pat yourself on the back going, look, I've studied this this subject better than anyone else. No, It's, it's the fact that what you are studying is so important. And in this case, Yes, you're, you're, you're studying the third person of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit, so obviously it's of great value, but you're studying a subject, and you're studying the third person of the Trinity, where there is so much confusion and disagreement and controversy and division and the body of Christ about it. So when you know that this is a subject, this is an issue that divides people, that people are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine in regards to the Holy Spirit, that should motivate you to go, okay, I'm going to dig in and do everything in my power so not only am I better equipped that I won't be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but that you now maybe have the ability to help others. Look, there is never going to be agreement in the body of Christ on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There's just never going to be. It divides Christianity dramatically. There, there is not even agreement in many cases about the Holy Spirit within the same church, within the same denomination. There's just so much to be divided about. It is frustrating. I wish it wasn't that case, but that's just the reality. The more you study it, the more you know, the better prepared you are to go, okay, look, we may disagree, but here are some very specifics that we have to agree upon. So I hope you've been doing the work. I I received an email, I think, I believe it was yesterday, it may have been the day before, of uh, someone else who uh, asked uh, for the uh, access to the curriculum and I gave them the link. I need to verify that they've signed up. If so, I've got to send them another link to make sure they have access to everything. But if you're out there, maybe you've never participated in any of the Bible study exercises. Well, 
All I can say is you're way, 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 way behind. So you need to catch up, but don't, don't worry about catching up. Just start where we are right now and go back and start listening to all of the episodes that we've done on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, make sure you, uh, you, this is very important. Make sure you find the episode called, let me find it here. Make sure you find the episode entitled, we cover a lot of stuff here. Uh, we cover a lot of stuff here. Uh, make sure you, uh, Bible study exercise topical method. Bible study exercise topical method. Make sure you listen to that because that teaches you the topical method of Bible study. Make sure you listen to that. Learn that method. Then go back and start listening to all the episodes in the Bible study exercise series on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and join us and catch up and whatever we can do. If you would like access to the curriculum, it's absolutely free to you. We do not charge you. Newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and you get access. And there's a new, the, the, the curriculum, it's every week, there's, a, there's the new study. Now, we don't always agree with the curriculum. I try to explain this to someone in the email. Is the curriculum is there to supplement? And in many cases, the curriculum is there to offer a different perspective so that anyone who participates, you're looking at the curriculum and you're listening to me. You're like, well, the two don't always agree. No, that gives you two different perspectives, which I think makes it even more valuable. All right. So please participate. For those who are participating, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Stay motivated. All right. Because you're studying such a important subject. Now, if you listen to the study last night, and I do need to get it posted everywhere, I apologize for being behind, but I'll do that here in a few minutes. Um, or when this is over, I can't do it in a few minutes. I'll still be talking, all right? But here soon, I will upload yesterday's study. Then I will upload this one and make sure that you have access to everything. And I will ma- I'll, I'll, just, I'll just make sure it's that everything is updated and you have access to everything. But if you listen to last night, last night was very... I wasn't, it was very frustrating. It was very discouraging in many cases because what we were looking at last night is we looked at, well, I was, I am using one of the books I had to use in seminary, one of the seminaries I attended. And um, it was basically uh, dealing with pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we had been, we've been working through it just in a very academic way. And we came to a section dealing with symbols and emblems of the Holy Spirit. And it was frustrating, but I, I wanted to do it last night. I knew it wasn't going to be the most like dramatic, dramatic teaching and oh, that was powerful and that was convicting, but it was trying to emphasize a point that so many things said about the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when you really start looking into it, it doesn't quite, it, it doesn't usually pan out the way many preachers, teachers, even in seminary, the way it's taught. Because we looked at these things saying, this is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and this symbol represents this. And then you go look at it, and you're like, "You, I, this, this doesn't actually, I don't know if this actually works. And we called it into question. So it, was, it wasn't the most exciting part of our study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but I think it was... I think it was very important that it illustrates some of my frustration with this doctrine and that so many things have been said about it. So please listen to that. Um, if everything works out Wednesday night, we will return to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit at Victory Baptist Church. Once again, using the textbook I had to use in one of the seminaries I attended, 
where I took a course on pneumatology and they, well, they, they, they've definitely used this and it's, it's been really, yeah, yeah, we, we, we can say a lot about that, but we will not. But today on this Monday, new week of Bible study exercise, one, make sure you're looking at the curriculum. We're way behind in what we've been talking about the curriculum on the podcast. So the curriculum is ahead of us. Just be looking at it, reading it, talking about it, emailing me about it, whatever, because I've been, I've definitely playing devil's advocate with it. And I'm definitely going against it because, well, I disagree with so much teaching on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I just disagree with it so very much. But if you look at the curriculum, let me pull it up really quick. Got to find out where I put it. it. Where is it? I got 900 windows open here. Uh, that's not what we want. Here's the curriculum. No, that's not the curriculum. Where's the curriculum? Here we go. Here's the curriculum. Give me one second for it to reopen. All right. Yes, we are in. Let's see here. I'm going to, to back up really quick. We are in Unit 1, Session 1 still. So I know we are behind. And in Unit 1, Session 1, it is called Convicted by the Spirit. And uh, it, the scripture that they want us to look at is John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. Then John 16, 7 through 15. All right? Now, I want you looking at the curriculum. We've already talked about it in great detail. But let's do this. Let's just read the scripture that they want us to look at one more time. John chapter 15. Verses 26 through 27. John 15, 26 through 27. So you really, if you're using everything that we're doing in the Bible study exercise on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you're really getting, uh, you're getting a lot of things uh, thrown at you. Some of you may be grateful for it. Some of you may not like the way we're doing this, but really you're getting the topical method of Bible study. I taught you how to do that. So you're working on that. You're getting really kind of a seminary course on pneumatology that I was taught, and I'm teaching it that way, but at doing so in, with a critical eye and challenging much of that. So you're getting that, and you're getting the curriculum that we have looking at specific passages, making certain claims in regards to the Holy Spirit. So you're really getting a lot in this Bible study exercise, and I hope that it's proving to be beneficial. But are you ready? John chapter 15. Let's go to verse 26. John 15, verse 26. We read this. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. We talked about the Greek word for Comforter. We talked a little bit about that. Okay. Then we went to chapter 16. Chapter 16, starting in verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Verse 8, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. Now stop right here. This whole, the, the focus for the curriculum uh, uh, in these sections of Scripture, John 15 and part of John 16, is on the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we looked at some of the things they had to say about it, 
And I I challenged us with kind of this hypothesis, hypothesis and this thesis. My hypothesis, my thesis is this, is that we have to kind of break down the the convicting work of the Holy Spirit into kind of three sections or three areas. First, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit just in the world in general. How does that work? How do we understand it? We'll call that the common convicting work of Jesus, uh, the common convicting work of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the common convicting work or the general convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm using that because I'm using the terms like common grace. Uh, general calling. I'm, I'm borrowing it from other uh, areas of soteriology and bringing it over. Uh, so I'm borrowing from certain co- concepts found in soteriology and bringing it over to pneumatology. I believe there's a general convicting work of the Holy Spirit, a common convicting work of the Holy Spirit that is present in the world, right? In certain ways, shape, and form, it is there. We talked about it. Then I believe there is a saving, convicting work of the Holy Spirit, where this goes from a general call to an effectual call, where this goes from common grace to effectual or saving grace. And we drew that correlation in our past studies. So I believe there's a general convicting work, a saving convicting work. Then we 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 have not yet completely unpacked this, but there is a convicting work after salvation in the life of believers, right? There is a convicting work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. There is a common convicting work, there is a saving convicting work, and there is a sanctifying convicting work of the Holy Spirit. How all three of those work, there's still much to unpack, but we at least looked at that And that brings us to the next part of John chapter 16. I know there's more I could say there. There's more I could unpack there, but we've we've done a little bit of work and we'll probably do more work on that, hopefully before we're done with this subject. We've got, we're running out of time and we've got a lot to cover. So we're really going to try to to, uh, double down and I may use... uh, Next uh, next Sunday we may be we may do even more work on it. We'll see, but we we definitely have a lot to do. But here we go, John chapter sixteen verse twelve. John chapter sixteen verse twelve. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Now I think we have this is. I'm going to throw out another thesis, right? So I have this thesis that we have the kind of the general, the general convicting work of the Holy Spirit within the world, the saving convicting work, and the sanctifying convicting work. I still believe that's the only way to understand it, that these are kind of separate, they're different, how it works, and I, I believe that that's important. But I'm going to throw out another possible thesis and hypothesis that many of you are going to disagree with, but I think it's very critical. Is it possible there is a apostolic work of the Spirit, right? And a after the apostolic era work of the Spirit, and the two are not identical, right? Now, someone said, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No one has done denying the essential essence and character and attributes of God is the same. But you cannot say that he always does the same thing at all times. We're not offering animal sacrifices right now. Jesus Christ came to the earth one time, 
right? In, in flesh to walk with us. That's different than where he is now at the right hand of the Father. Clearly, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God came upon, say, Samson to give him power that we have not seen, well, in anybody else. So I, I think you have to acknowledge there's things that God did different things at different ways and different times, and it would be foolish to to deny that, right? I think it, it would be absolutely crazy to deny that. I think he spoke to people prior to the completion of the word of God differently, audible voice, visions, dream. And I think all of those things have ceased and he no longer speaks that way. Today, he speaks to us through the word of God. I think you, if to deny that, to try to say that everything today is the same as it was in those different periods of time is just crazy. And, and I'm not even trying to go full-blown dispensational here. I'm just trying to say there, there's clearly, you can look at what how things happened with Samson. That didn't happen for anybody else. That was a one-time special thing that was not common, obviously. So I think we can be able to at least acknowledge. I wish we could agree on that. I know many Christians will not, but that I'm that I think is key. And because of that, reality. I believe it's a historical reality, a biblical reality. I think it's important to possibly ask ourselves, did the Holy Spirit do a work during the apostolic time, right? The formation of the, of the new church that where the, where the, you had apostolic authority, preaching and teaching. And once the apostolic era ended, the, the Holy Spirit's work dramatically changed. I'm going to put forth that hypothesis. Not everyone agrees. And here's the reason why, because just stay with me. Let's read this passage again. So, okay, he says this. This is very important. I have yet many things to say unto you. I think the you there is specifically referring to the apostles and to the disciples, right? I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Clearly, this is in a reference to a specific group of people at a specific group of time. He's talking to the disciples, right? Now listen, Howbeit, when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. I believe absolutely dogmatically that that is not for us today. Now, I know I just heard an audible <gasps> gasp, and people are like, no, 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 no. The Spirit leads us into all truth. I'm going to put forth a major argument against it, and here we go. 2,000 years of church history, 2,000 years of church history, and those 2,000 years is filled with nothing but disagreement, division, church splits, denominational splits, new denominations beginning, new groups beginning, new groups breaking away, Book after book, commentary after commentary written that disagrees with the other commentaries that are being written. Sermon after sermon preached that disagrees with other sermons that are being preached. It has been a spiritual free-for-all for 2,000 years of fighting and arguing and different interpretations. If the Spirit of God was leading us into all truth, boom, by now we could have one commentary that could answer all of our questions and we would all be in agreement, and it would be peace and harmony, but it's not the case. If the Spirit is le- of God is leading us into all truth, then where is the truth? 
infant baptism or no infant baptism, sprinkling or immersion, right? Like, wait, like what, what's the proper church structure? What do you believe about, I don't know, salvation, the a, a Pelagian view or an Augustinian view, a, a, um, uh, an Arminian view or a Calvinistic view? We could go, we could go on and on and on and on and on. Disagreement, disagreement, disagreement. I mean, all you're going to do is just, well, you just turn on a microphone and say anything and you're going to get some Christian telling you you're wrong and some Christian telling you you don't know what you're talking about and some Christian telling you that you don't know what you're, you know, what you're doing. You can't even get agreement in most churches, even in your own church. You, if you open up a discussion, everyone will disagree on so many different issues. It's literally maddening how much disagreement there is. So how can you say with any, any, uh, with intellectual honesty that the spirit of truth, that he's going to guide you into all truth? I believe that that is a work of the Holy Spirit during the apostolic age where he guided the new church through the authority of apostles and guided them ultimately to produce the New Testament. That, that, I, I, I don't see, I don't see there's any other way because we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit moved. It was the Holy Spirit's work in, in bringing, you cannot deny the work of the Holy Spirit in the inspiration of scripture. Would that would be leading people into truth, right? He led the writers of the New Testament. He, he led the writers of all the Bible. From Moses to David, all of them into truth. It was the Spirit of God involved in inspiration. Now, if the if the Spirit of God is involved in inspiration, that is leading them into all truth. But that's not a promise for all of us. It was a promise for them. There was a work of the Spirit during the apostolic era that's not occurring today after the apostolic era. That is my hypothesis, that is my thesis. And again, I would just say, if it's happening, where is it? And do you just real? I just want you to understand how dangerous the concept is, right? I, I, I turn on a microphone or forget a microphone because this is not as personal, right? So this may not have the same emotional impact. Let's imagine you sit in a church, all right? You come to church, you're sitting in the pew. Pastor stands up behind the pulpit, says, okay, I've been working on, on this sermon all week, been trying to interpret this passage, and here is the interpretation that the Holy Spirit gave me because the Holy Spirit leads me into all truth. At that very moment, whether you realize it or not, great spiritual danger just occurred because he just told you that his interpretation came from God that would make his interpretation infallible that would make his interpretation one in which you could not disagree with. There's been disagreement with my approach to the book of Jude. All right, great. But if I stand there and say my approach to the book of Jude has come from the Holy Spirit, then guess what? How could you argue with me? How could you disagree with me? Christians make this claim all the time that, well, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Okay, so that means what you believe you, you comes from God and everyone else is wrong. 
because that removes the possibility of your own fallibility because now you're, you're getting an infallible interpretation from God. Basically, you become the magisterial authority putting forth dogmatic interpretations that are infallible because they came from God. And, and, and yet we condemn the Catholic Church for that same kind of mindset. That's what Protestants claim for themselves. Instead of having one pope, we have millions of little popes all claiming that their interpretation came to them by the Holy Spirit because he led them into all truth. Meaning, really, you have millions of different truth of, of claims all claiming to come from God, which ultimately makes it all meaningless, meaningless, because not all of them can be from God when they don't agree. I don't know how people cannot see how utterly just illogical and ridiculous we sound when we make these claims, but this is what people do. Let me read it to you again. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. The disciples, the apostles could not bear them at that time. After the Holy Spirit comes, they can bear them. It's revealed to them and they write the the New Testament. Howbeit, when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He guided them into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall, uh, uh, I mean, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. It's a specific work of the spirit involved in the inspiration of Scripture and the and, and the inspiring of Scripture and the process of putting together the Word of God. I don't see how this can have any application beyond it. Now, this is what the curriculum does with it. Oh, boy, I can already hear. I can, I'm already hearing this. He, he's wrong. He's wrong. He's an idiot. And I, you know what? When you say that, I'm just going to say, well, the Holy Spirit led me to this conclusion, so you can't tell me that I'm an idiot. You see, I can use the argument against you, right? You tell me that I'm wrong. Okay, well, great. I'll say that you're right. I'm wrong. And so I'm going to now go with your, your, your view, your view that the Holy Spirit leads me into all truth. I'll say the Holy Spirit led me into this truth. Now, how are you going to disagree with me? If I give an interpretation of the Bible that you don't like, and I say, well, the Holy Spirit led me in that truth. See, this is what happens. If you don't like my interpretation, you just know the Holy Spirit didn't lead you into that because it's wrong. Well, wait a minute. How can you say that when the Holy Spirit's promised to lead us into all truth? It just becomes a meaningless, it, it becomes absolutely insane. It just really does. But I'm going to go down here and I'm going to see how the, the curriculum handles this. I'm, I'm very worried about how they handle this, but this is what they have to say. All right. John 16, 12 through 15. I'm going to read it all from the curriculum itself. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show, show you, or show you uh, things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. In other words, this is a this is a work of revelation. This is a work of revealing to specific people for a specific purpose. And I think that purpose is right here. I'm holding in my hands the word of God. Right. This is how they handle it. Here we go. Jesus had explained much to his disciples, but he knew that they still could not understand all he wanted them to know. 
Until they saw the resurrected Jesus standing before them, they were not ready to hear. Jesus could only teach them as much as they could comprehend. When the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, came and was with them, he would lead the followers of Christ into all truth. Now, please note, yes, the the disciples, but he said he would lead the followers of Christ. Now, is that did they just expand that to all of us? We'll see. The Spirit would teach them more about the character and person of Christ. Even though the disciples had observed Jesus up close, they could not fully understand who he is. They could not have, they could, they, if I can read correctly, they could not have been clear of Christ's mission to the world. The Spirit would change that. However, Revealing truth so that they could understand it, over time, the Holy Spirit would remind the disciples of things Jesus had done and things that Jesus had said. Yes, he reminds them of what he had said. He brings it to mind so that we can get an accurate recording of those words and of those events found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all right? And when Paul uh, speaks of the the uh, institution of the Lord's Supper, r- r- reminding us of the words of Jesus, we, we could go on and on, all the examples in the New Testament. The Spirit would also lead them to, d- to deeper truth related to Jesus' mission in the world. As John wrote his Gospels, uh, J- Gospel account of Jesus, the Spirit of truth inspired the Apostle to write the words of Jesus had spoken to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. The Spirit showed John a picture of the sacrificial death of Christ. He also reminded John of the times Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Spirit showed John how Jesus had been teaching about the life available to anyone who would believe through his death. The Holy Spirit will only speak what he hears from God. He would never lead them to a different truth than what Jesus had shared with them, but he would continue to deepen their understanding. Now, I completely agree. Listen, this is very important. I completely agree that he did all of that for the New Testament writers. I believe he did that for the apostolic era, for the apostolic leadership. I believe he was guiding and teaching them. No question about it. The Holy Spirit, another aspect of the Spirit's ministry is to bring glory to Christ. He, he, his work among both believers and unbelievers is always to draw attention to Jesus, his incarnation, his saving work on the cross, and his uh, coming return. The Holy Spirit is still the Spirit of truth. He still guides believers to understand Jesus and his mission to reach a lost world with the gospel. He still speaks only what he hears from God. He does not contradict the word of God, but he guides us to understand it. Certainly, we often have a hard time hearing the voice of the Spirit, but that happens because we surround ourselves with so much of the world's noise that we drown out the voice of the Spirit. Perhaps we squelch his voice by the overwhelming busyness of our lives. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, We need to be intentional to listen to his voice. So all you got to do is just stop being busy. All you have to do is just get rid of all of the distractions. I don't know. You could go join a monastery somewhere and boom, you're going to hear from God and he's going to bring you into all truth. (sighs) There's been plenty of people who lived in monasteries. Oh, wait, 
we would reject much of those writings. We would say the Spirit did not lead them into all truth. We would say they don't even have the Spirit. We would say they're lost. Okay, well, what if I, if I turn off, I'm here in an empty room. What if I sit here all day and supposedly listen to God? And then I open up my Bible at about, I don't know, 6 p.m. this evening and say, ladies and gentlemen, after spending about six hours in stillness before God, this is the correct interpretation on baptism. Oh, the Presbyterians listening will probably end up disagreeing with me. Wait, wait, why? Why? I, I, I believe God has shown me that immersion for believers only. No, 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 you're wrong. No, the Holy Spirit led me in all that truth. I, I intentionally listened. I, I, I didn't do anything else today. But nope, you didn't hear God right. So see, at that point, then all you have to do is when someone else supposedly was led to truth by the Spirit, if you don't agree to the truth that they were led to, you just say that they were wrong, and then you claim the Spirit led you to truth, And then, but I disagree with you. It really, it just becomes a meaningless statement because if we all believe that the Spirit of God was leading us into all truth, when I proclaim something, you would have to listen to me. You would have to say, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Now, some will say, well, if it goes against the Word of God, well, wait a minute. He gave me the interpretation of the word of God. It didn't go against the word of God. It's the correct interpretation of the word of God. Your interpretation is incorrect. Nope, nope, your interpretation is incorrect. It's just mindless, crazy, circular reasoning that just becomes vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. That is what it becomes. So I'm going to make the assertion that the spirit of God was at work during the apostolic era, and led them, them, those disciples into all truth. And we have that truth right here. How do I understand this truth? Like I would any kind of written communication, any kind of work of literature. I have to take it. I have to read it. I have to understand definitions of words. I have to understand the idea of, of context, historical context, background information. I have to do all of the interpretive work that you do for any kind of a, a written book, uh, any kind of book, any kind of literature. You have to use those same kind of tools, those same kinds of ideas and concepts to come up with a proper interpretation. You say, well, do you believe the Holy Spirit illuminates your mind? Well, okay, what do you mean by that? Because if you say that it illuminates me, so I I, I didn't understand. I prayed for illumination. Now I understand. So that illumination came from God. I'm becoming very close to once again claiming my interpretation claim came from God. And if my interpretation came from God, it becomes infallible. No one can question it. No one can challenge it. I mean, I, I have dealt with some Christians this way, going trying to argue with them with a doctrine or a theology, and your scripture, you're like, well, the Holy Spirit hasn't shown that to me. All right, well, okay, well, then why are we even having a conversation? Why don't you just tell me what the Holy Spirit showed you? Forget, let's even, forget even reading the Bible, and you just tell me, you just write your own systematic theology and problem solved. Because you can't argue with someone that way. Well, the Holy Spirit showed me something different. Okay, well, then I... Your interpretation is from God. My interpretation is from, you know, hermeneutics, Bible study methods, language, definitions, context, historical background. But hey, you know, you've got the Holy Spirit, so you're right and everybody else is wrong. And they'll say, well, we're not saying that. You, you, are, you can say something without 
saying the exact words. The minute you claim the Spirit of God is the one that leads you into truth, you're making an absolute amazing claim that whatever you believe is correct because it came from God because he led you to it. Well, then there's never a way you can be corrected. I believe this is an apostolic era work of the Spirit, and it does not apply to us today. Today, we have the the completed revelation of God in written form. It's right here, and then we take it apart. We read it. We study it. We struggle with it. We, we try to understand everything about how it's structured. We outline it. We observe it. We try to interpret it. We try to apply it. And we do that work. And it's a work that there's never agreement on. Uh, again, just take a passage of scripture, look, get by 10 commentaries. Sometimes you'll end up with 30 interpretations. You're like, how did that happen? And, you, and just saying, well, because they didn't, just even know just the concept, well, the, we struggle because we don't often listen to God. You do realize, once again, that just becomes a weapon that you use. Well, the reason you you have a wrong interpretation is because you didn't listen to God. But of course, you always do. I I completely reject this outright. And if you look at John 16, this section starts... If you really look at this section, um, John 14, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, Jesus here begins to speak of the uh, disciple. He's talking to one of the disciples. Then Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus and said unto him, again, one of the disciples, he's, re- he's answering. Then, um, I mean, and then in John 16, verse 17, then he said, uh, then said some of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he said unto us? This whole, discu- all this entire section and John 14, 15, and 16 is Jesus speaking directly to the disciples. He can't just rip that out of context. I'm not saying there aren't things that may not be applicable to us, but when it comes to specific works of the Holy Spirit that clearly are not at work today, because if they were, we would clearly see evidence of it. We wouldn't have a thousand commentaries. We would have one, all right? And it would give us the authoritative um, interpretation as the Spirit of God led us into all truth. In fact, you know what? We wouldn't even need commentaries because the Holy Spirit would be leading us into all truth. Right? I mean, you wouldn't need anything. You just you just need you, the Bible, and the Spirit, and boom, you end up in truth. And it, it, it hasn't worked. We've got 2,000 years of it clearly showing it's not at work. I believe we have an apostolic era work of the Spirit and then the work of the Spirit after the apostolic era. And it is extremely different. I don't believe in apostolic succession. That's the claim made by the Catholic Church believes in apostolic succession, right? The church is apostolic. So the apostolic succession is passed down. And those who it's been passed down to, the successor, well, has apostolic authority. The Spirit gives them truth. They can make dogmatic uh, claims. They can, they're the magisterial authority. They become the ones who can interpret the Bible. And, 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 and as Protestants, we reject that. 
But the Protestants rejected it by saying, you no longer have that power, but almost we now have that power, and now we can do it. And, well, we almost become many popes. And just please note, the curriculum didn't even articulate exactly how this supposedly works. And we've seen it so many times where someone claims the Spirit led them to this or to believe this. Either one, they end up making prophecies that are absolutely fraudulent and false. Or two, they offer some of the most wacky interpretations ever seen of the Bible, where just a, a few hermeneutical rules, you'll be like, that is, that's not what that says. What, what are you doing with that? Like, how? No, you're abusing it. You're misusing it. You're twisting the word of God. Stop it. Well, no, the Holy Spirit led me to that truth. Oh, boy. Okay, just stop it. Can we stop it? So, I, I, I don't know what, I, we just had to, we have to cover it because it's here in the curriculum. So I at least wanted to mention it. So we have the convicting work of the spirit. I think the convicting work of the spirit has a general work, right? A general work, a saving work, and then a sanctifying work. And how those all play itself out, we could have greater discussion. We've talked about that. And I, again, we can call it the general work, the common work, right? Like common grace, the general call. Then we have the effectual work, the saving work um, and it, that the Holy Spirit does. And then we have the sanctifying work that it does in those who believe. And how does that sanctifying work work? There's, there's grieving of the Spirit, convicting. How does that all play itself out? We could talk about it. But the, revel, the giving of revelation, leading us into truth work, I think that is for the apostolic era. And that's where I'm going to put it. I, I, there you go. And you can say, well, the Holy Spirit indwells us. I've never denied the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because if the Holy Spirit's not indwelling us, we're not Christians, right? We are now the temple of the living God. I do believe he's inside of me. I do. I believe that I am sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. I believe that the Holy Spirit is present. I am not in any way denying, I'm not denying the deity, the deity of the Holy Spirit. I'm not denying that he's the third person of the Trinity, one God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal, all right? I'm no way denying that, but I am. But I cannot claim the Spirit is doing something that is too much just empirical evidence all around us. There's no way that's working, but I'm holding here a Bible that we all believe the, the Holy Spirit was involved in inspiration. It was in, moved the men to write. Well, that, now I can say, oh, this makes sense. He did open their eyes. He did reveal truth to them. He did help them remember what Jesus said. He did bring his words to their mind. Yes, it's right here. It's recorded to us in the Bible. There I have a tangible empirical evidence going, this is the product of the work of the Spirit in the apostolic era. But that giving of revelation and leading into truth ceased with the apostolic era. And today we take that truth that was produced and then we, using hermeneutical methods and Bible study methods, we do the work to try to understand it and to properly interpret it. And we will never do so in an infallible way. It will always be fallible and there will always be error present. That is my conclusion, and I, I'll just call it my thesis and my hypothesis, but again, 
Just make sure you understand if you say you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, then I can say, okay, I won't debate you. I'll say you're right. And then I'll tell you that the Holy Spirit led me to this conclusion. And then you'll be like, nope, the Holy Spirit didn't lead you to that. Okay, well, then <laughs> you just see how utterly it becomes circular reasoning. You you want me to believe that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth until I say something that you don't agree with. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit did not lead me to that truth. But you always think the Holy Spirit's leading you into truth. That's just the mindless world that we find ourselves sometimes in within Christianity. And I just reject all of that. I believe right here is, is the work of the Spirit to lead to truth. And it's complete right here. His word is truth. His word is true. From Genesis to Revelation, the Spirit of God led and moved men to write bringing truth to their minds and bringing words so that what we have is an accurate, truthful word of God. Infallible, right? Okay, I'm, I'll stop there. All right, thanks for listening. Um, I, I wish we, I wanted to do a little bit more, but I just wanted to encourage you to don't stop doing what you're doing. And if you have any questions about this, now, if you just want to argue, I'm I mean, I guess you can argue with me, but I, 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 it just becomes circular reasoning. But if you have honest questions, I don't know if I'm going to have any good answers, but I will do everything I can to try to help you. And, and look, if you want to reject this, that's okay. Just make sure we understand that I am not denying the existence of the Holy Spirit, the connection with, uh, he's the third person of the Trinity, the deity, the personality of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'm not denying literally any of that. I'm restricting his work of leading people into all truth, revealing truth to the apostolic era and the writing of this. You really could say I'm restricting I'm I'm restricting it or limiting it to from the writing of Genesis to the the finished writing of the book of Revelation. Once the canon was closed, once all inspired scripture was done, I believe that work of the Holy Spirit ceased. And it's a different work now. There we go. Now, some people say, well, he's not revealing, but he's illuminating. That, that I was taught. That was the first thing I was taught. The, revel, revel, the uh, revealing work, the revelation work of Christ is over, but the, the illuminating isn't. But they, when I was, so illuminate in what way? Illuminate in what way? Because now you're claiming that if you have some special illuminating power in your interpretation, once again, you're claiming that your interpretation has some kind of divine connection to it. And I look, I watch too many people in seminary and Bible college. If the illuminating work was there, why were they struggling to pass the test? Why were they failing? Right? I mean, yeah, there's just... The, the illuminating thing becomes just some this um, ambiguous, well, like, what, what do you mean by, what does he do? How does, how, and it becomes vague and it, it doesn't work the way they claim that it works. And it becomes really just one step away from once again claiming God leads you into all truth. He illuminated your mind. Therefore, your interpretation is right. And it just creates major problems. All right, I'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. The next part of the curriculum looks at the work of the Holy Spirit in, well, us being born again or in our conversion 
and our salvation. What is the role? of? So we've looked at the convicting work of the Spirit, the revealing work or the, the revelation work of the Holy Spirit, and we've We've done, and now we're going to look at the converting work of the Holy Spirit in the next part of the curriculum. So start looking at it and let me know what you think. I know there's, I'm going to get lots of questions on this. That's fine. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.